Well, we are closing in on the end here. We're just a week away from what I think we could do. We could complete the book of Hebrews. And we come to the really the crux of the entire argument today. Over and over, he's told the readers of the superiority of the Messiah to any and everything else that God has given his people. He longs to be, God longs to be reunited with his creation. So God has given his people messengers in the form of men and angels. And the writer has told us that the message of Yeshua is greater. God has sent angels. And the writer told us that the message of Yeshua was greater. Not just that, but he's greater than angels. For which angel did God ever say, you are my son? God sent Moses to redeem Israel. No one else in the history of Israel carries more respect than Moses, the lawgiver. And yet, the author tells these Hebrews that Yeshua is greater than Moses. And not just that, but his message is greater than that of Moses too. And what did I just say? He's the lawgiver, so it's greater than the Torah itself. God gave the people the tabernacle. And the high priest of the tribe of Levi to minister to the people. The author told us that that tabernacle was a copy of what Yeshua serves in, in heaven. That Yeshua is greater than the high priest of Levi. Because he's of the high priesthood of Melchizedek. Whom Levi, while in the loins of Abraham, tithed to. And the author told, also told us that Messiah is superior to Levi because he's an eternal high priest. While the high priest of Levi, of course, is not. He dies. And God gave the people the temple service with its sacrifice of goats and bulls for the atonement of the the people. And the author tells us that the service Yeshua rendered is greater because it was a once and for all offering. God, through Moses, gave Israel a covenant at Sinai. It was a covenant ministered by men, but... Through Yeshua, he's given a new covenant. Superior in every way because it's ministered through Yeshua, who is eternal. Versus the passing away of the mediator and the passing of the mediation from man to man. Instead of men interpreting the covenant, it is Yeshua who is the minister of the new covenant. One by which everyone is going to know God. Amen? What the author has done, he's taken everything that these Hebrews would hold sacred, everything I should say that is sacred, because you can't lose sight of the value of what God has given in the past. Everything given them by God was and shown then that showed that God was the final gift he gave in Messiah Yeshua was greater. Yeshua is what everything else given by God foreshadowed and where the shadows were vague and uncertain Yeshua is the perfection and the substance of those shadows then in chapter 11 he shows them that even though uh, that even though all the great men of the Bible up until Moses had none of the things that were given to Israel or to these Hebrews no Torah no tabernacle no temple no priesthood no Sinai covenant still they overcame And were men who were considered to be of great faith. Men of renown. Because they had what Israel turned down at Sinai. 
They had relationship with God. They had faith in God that came through the hearing of the voice of God. They heard, they had relationship, they spoke with, they obeyed the voice that they heard speaking to them. Israel had the same opportunity, but said no at Sinai. God spoke to them and they were fearful. And don't get me wrong, I don't want to minimize what they went through. They were fearful for a very good reason, as the author will point out today. But nonetheless... They asked for Moses to be between them and God. They asked God to speak to Moses and then Moses to them. And so the author of Hebrews told us in chapter 3, he said, See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Messiah if we hold firmly till the end the confidence that we had at first. As has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as they did in the rebellion. For who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all Moses led out of Egypt and whom... And with whom he was angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned and whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom God did swear that they would never enter his rest? If not those who disobeyed. So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. And that's what I tried to get across the other day. Hearing God gives you a faith and a confidence in God that you can receive no other way. And Israel suffered from unbelief, suffered from a lack of faith. Israel said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we'll listen, but don't have God speak to us or we will die. And we get a more complete account of what was said at Sinai in Deuteronomy chapter 5, where Moses is recounting the Ten Commands. He says this in verse 23, When you heard the voice out of the darkness, while the mountain was ablaze with fire, and all the leading men of your tribes and your elders came to me, and you said, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and his majesty, and we have heard his voice from the fire. Today we have seen that a man can live even if God speaks with him. But now why should we die? This great fire will consume us and we will die if we hear the voice of the Lord our God any longer. For what mortal man has ever heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the fire as we haven't survived? Go near and listen to all that the Lord our God says. Then whatever the Lord our God tells you, we will listen and obey. That's amazing. They understood. They just had God speak to them and they understood that... God can speak to us and we can live. And still they're fearful. And not just that, but sadly, they didn't listen and obey Moses. In fact, they broke the 11th command, so to speak. The very first command that Moses gives them after speaking to the Lord. And we can read it in chapter 20, verse 22. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites this, 
You have seen for yourselves that I have spoken to you from heaven. Do not make any gods to be alongside of me. Do not make for yourself gods of silver or gods of gold. So they promised to listen and obey. But of course, we all know they broke this very first instruction given by Moses. And if we go back to Deuteronomy chapter 5, where we can, we can hear the Lord's lament to Moses because he knows Israel isn't going to obey. This is what he said. He said, the Lord heard you when you spoke to me. And the Lord said to me, I have heard what this people said to you and everything they said was good. Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me and keep all my commands always so that it might go well with them and their children forever. Okay, so we pretty much covered this Sinai experience and I don't want to spend a whole lot of time here, but what I want you to see is, sadly, just the opposite of what the people said was in fact the case. Because had God continued to speak directly to them, more than likely, they would not have suffered the failures that they suffered in the wilderness. They would have lived. But because they chose Moses between them and God, they all died in the wilderness. Had they listened to the voice of the God, they would have lived. Instead, they died. In chapter 12, after speaking of God's discipline, he begins to summarize all of this. That's why I kind of began with a summarization today. But how does he summarize? Well, he takes us back to the origin of the covenant with God to Sinai, and he will again show the superiority of this new covenant. And it's kind of a Colva-Homer argument here. Speaking of Sinai and the new covenant, he says in verse 18, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire. To darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. Even if an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The sight was so terrifying Then Moses said, I am trembling with fear. So he speaks of the mountain all ablaze and the trumpet calls of God, the voice of God. And he says that Moses said, I'm trembling with fear. There's a problem there. Did anybody see it? Because Moses didn't say that. So we must assume that he's quoting some tradition here. And it's been suggested that that he's talking, he's taking a quote from Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 19, which reads this way. It says, I feared the anger and the wrath of the Lord, for he was angry enough with you to destroy you. You see, the problem here is the context. The context is not the fear of the mountain and the voice of the Lord speaking, but it's fear because Israel has failed and made a golden calf. And the fear Moses... Uh, and, and Moses' fear of what the Lord would do to Israel, not because he feared the voice of God. So we must assume that he's quoting some tradition here that the Hebrews are familiar with. However, that being said, the sight was terrifying. What happened that day was terrifying. And Moses, if he wasn't fearful, he at least understood the fear of the people because he says to them to this and. Verse 20 of chapter 20, he says, Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that you will fear, so that the fear of God will be with you and keep you from sinning. And the people remained at a distance while Moses approached 
the thick darkness where God was. So the point being, Sinai experience was fearful. However, as fearful as it was, it was what God wanted and always wanted. And it's a shadow of the culmination of all things, which is we will all know God. We're all going to hear his voice. He's going to commune once again with his people. That is the purpose of God, to restore man into fellowship with him, restore man so that he might dwell with him again. And so we're back at Mount Sinai and the giving of the commands, and now he's going to give us what we have received. We didn't come to that mountain, but here's what we've come to. But you have come to Mount Zion, to heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the assembly of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Yeshua, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks of a better word than the blood of Abel. Listen to what he says. And I want you to see that he says this in past tense. He says, you have come. Past tense, not you're coming to or you will come to, but you have come to the kingdom, to the kingdom of God with all of the benefits of the kingdom, to the assembly of the firstborn. And if we skip down, it says we have come to Yeshua, the mediator of a new covenant. You know, there are a lot of people who want to tell you in the Messianic movement in particular, that those who want to tell you that the new covenant is not in effect and won't be in effect until the kingdom comes. But the author of Hebrews says, you have come. You have come to Mount Zion, the heavenly to Jerusalem, and to Yeshua, the mediator of the new covenant. All past tense. We've come. And not to the terror of Mount Sinai, but to a joyful assembly of those who are the, of the faith of Abraham and are secure in the redemption secured through Yeshua. You have come to the judge and there's nothing to fear because you have a mediator, a new mediator, one who has suffered as you have, who has suffered the things that you have, the temptations that you have, and is able to find you innocent. Amen. You've come to the spirits of men made perfect by this same Yeshua. And he's speaking of those people that we looked at in chapter 11. You have come to the judge, and let me tell you something. He sees you through the lens of Yeshua's life. We're not partaking of any earthly covenant, one that is meant to last through our life and whose violations mean death in this life, but we've come to an eternal covenant, an eternal agreement that has eternal consequences. So there's no fear, but there's a joyful celebration of those who he, who he has made perfect. And then he says in verse 25, he says, See to it, because here's the warning. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven. I always like to read this in the Young's literal, so I'm going to do it. It says, See, may ye not refuse him who is speaking. For if those did not escape who refused him 
who upon the earth was divinely speaking. What was it? Before we read the last part, what was it that they refused at Sinai? This trembling. What was it? Well, it was only one thing. They didn't want to hear the voice of God any longer. That's the only thing they refused. We don't want to hear Moses, you speak to us and we'll listen. And they didn't escape when they refused the relationship he offered. Refusing that relationship was the cause of their violating the covenant, not just once with the golden calf, but over and over and all ultimately dying in the wilderness. And then he says, much less we who do turn away from him who speaketh from heaven. We are hearing not from an earthly mountain that was a shadow of the good thing that God has for us. No, we hear from a mediator and he's in heaven. And guess what? He's speaking still. It doesn't say spoke to us. It says speaks to us. Speaking. Speaketh. Not just spoken to us while on earth. You know, some commentators want to say that what, what he means here is that Yeshua's ministry should speak to us. No, it's he that speaks from heaven. Of whom God said this in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 17. They have spoken well. I will raise a prophet from among their countrymen like you. And I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words, which he speaks in my name, I myself will require it of him. Israel refused hearing God and they went forth and sinned and fell in the wilderness. They sinned and fell and it wasn't God's retribution for not hearing God. He didn't strike them down because they didn't hear. It was the weakness of their flesh that caused them to sin. And so the author says, how much less will we escape if we turn away from Yeshua, the one who God said we must listen to, this inner witness he gives us in our hearts, or I myself will require it of them. You see, if you don't listen, that will be the sin itself. How can you escape if you don't listen? You can't. The point being, you won't. And to further prove his point, what does he do? He's going to quote Haggai. Listen to what he says in verse 12, or chapter 12, verse 26. He says, at that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised once more, I will shake not only the heaven, the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate removing what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. And so the context of this quote from Haggai is actually the rebuilding of the temple. God is trying to encourage Zerubbabel and the people through Haggai the prophet. And this is what Haggai, we're going to read a little bit more than what he quoted, this is what Haggai tells Zerubbabel. He says, But now, be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. And this is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. And my spirit remains among you, do not fear. He says, this is what I covenanted 
with you when you came out of Egypt? What did, what did God covenant with them when they came out of Egypt? Well, he did say he was going to restore them if he returned them, if they returned to him. But that's not what he's speaking of here. I'm convinced. No, that's not the covenant that he's speaking of. Listen to what he says next. Then we'll get to our quote from Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, once more, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations and the, des the desired of all the nations will come and will fill the house with glory. The Lord says the Lord Almighty, silver and gold is mine. Silver is mine and gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. You know, if you want to stump a Jewish person who doesn't believe that Yeshua is the Messiah, and you want to do it with Scripture, just ask him to tell you how the glory of the second temple was greater than the glory of the first. Because this is what we read of the tabernacle. Let's start with the tabernacle. It says in chapter 40, verse 34 of Exodus, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses couldn't enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Let's read about the first temple. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 10. When the priests withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord, and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled his temple. Now, what do we read about the glory in the second temple? Well, I can tell you, nothing. <laughs> because there was no glory. There was no ark. So how was the glory of the second temple greater than the glory of the first? Did the word of the Lord to Haggai the prophet fail? No, it did not. Because the author told us in chapter 1 of Hebrews, he said, The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he provided perfect purification for sins he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven you see the radiance of God's glory walked in the second temple he taught in the second temple the radiance of God's glory ministered in the second temple he fulfilled the covenant God made with Israel when they came out of Egypt and God said they have spoken well I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you. And I will put my words in his mouth. And he will speak to them all the words I command him. And it shall come about. That whoever does not listen to my words. Which he speaks in my name. I myself will require it of him. God is going to shake the earth once more. Because the earth is filled. With those who have heard. The good news. And not listened to the words. The prophet spoke. And is still speaking. Everything that does not listen to the words he spoke and is speaking will be shaken even as Israel was shaken and sifted in the wilderness. And so the author said, See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. Because if we do, as Deuteronomy chapter 18 said, God is going to require it of us. Amen? But if you do not refuse... Then chapter 12 and verse 28, the author tells us this. 
Since therefore we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and with awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Through our hearing, we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, like those of the Hall of Fame of Faith. They were not shaken. But they overcame. We too have everything needed to overcome this world. Yeah, we might stumble, even as Abraham stumbled, as Jacob stumbled. But we are part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We can get back up. So let's be thankful in all things and worship God. You know, if there's one thing that we all suffer from, and I know all of you, most of you, a few visitors out there haven't met yet, But if there's one thing that we all suffer from, is we're not always as thankful as we should be. And all too often we're walking around grumbling and complaining when we should be worshiping and thanking God for all He's given us in our lives. Amen? God has blessed this community of Sar Shalom every step of our walk with Him. He watches over us like no other work in this town, I'm telling you. He directs the steps of the leaders of the community. He provides for us in ways that he has done for no one else in the movement in this town anyway. He's given us this amazing building. And yet all too often I hear, well, I don't like this or I don't like that. Folks, I like all that he's done for us. And I'm thankful for all that he's done and all that he's doing. And I praise him and I thank him. And yes, he is a consuming fire, and we need to respect that, but we need to love him because he's also a father who provides abundantly for his children, and he sent his son so that we too might be sons and inherit a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And he also takes amazing care of us as we journey to Jerusalem, the city of God. 